As a kid, have you ever wondered how to make your ideas come to life? Welcome to Spark, a podcast that empowers kids to learn, create, and become. Tune in weekly to hear great ideas. Wouldn't it be great if we could sell all of these toys and make money, and then use that money to bring books to the kids in India? It's about passion. Well, whatever your passion is, just keep following it. If A nine-year-old like me could follow my passion. Anybody could do it. I started following my passion when I was three and a half. It's about taking risks, especially as a middle schooler. Is you have to recognize that you have more time and more ability to take risks than anyone else. And it's about knowing how to deal with no's. I have a saying that says no is just an abbreviation for next opportunity. And so after every no, after every ten no's. You're still gonna get a yes. It can be a simple yes. It can be a really big yes. Listen to real stories about the impact you can create as a kid. I truly believe that anyone at any age can make a difference.、Um, you know, if you would have asked me and my parents if little five-year-old Catherine would have continued、uh, her fundraising efforts for so so many years and made such a big impact, we would have said, "What are you talking about? Like, there's no way that's gonna happen." And also encouragement from other kids to pursue your dreams and giving back. You're never too young or too old to start a business, or you're never too young or too old to give back to charity because it's very helpful for the kids in need. All kinds of real stories about kids and adult creators who have made real impact in the world. If you want to be inspired, subscribe to Spark. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spark. I'm the host Lee. It is great to invite Dr. Dennis Leakey, co-founder and co-director of the Met School, co-founder of Big Picture Learning, and founder and president of College Unbound. This is our second part of the interview, so here we go. Let's continue our conversation with Dr. Leakey. So,、uh, Dr. Leakey, so today we're going to focus on the topic on leadership、uh, in education and. Our series is about change makers in education, and you are definitely the perfect person to talk about this because you have worked in the educational field for forty years now. <laughs> yes,、uh, and it's in- incredible how much you have contributed. Yeah, just as what you have talked about the high school in New Hampshire, where you have changed their dropout rate from twenty percent to one percent, and college.、Um, Matriculation rate improved from ten percent to fifty percent,、um, and the first Met class graduated with a ninety-six percent graduation rate, and with ninety-eight percent of the、uh, of its graduates admitted to post-secondary in- institution.、Yeah. So I know it's Im- almost impossible to kind of summarize what you know you have accomplished、um, or learned in several points. But if you have to,、uh, just like what you have told us. Um, could you tell us what you have learned over the years、um, when you are like rethinking or say renovating about education? Yeah. On one hand, it's the hardest work in the world.、Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's not very hard at all. It's the way you think, and it's the question that we always keep bringing up: What is learning? And if you think learning is. <clears throat>、um, uh, How high you score in a standardized test,、mm-hmm. then that tells you what you have to do as an education. If you think learning is much more of growing emotionally, intellectually,、um, that's a whole different thing, also. 
Okay. So I, I guess what I've, is the question what I've learned? Yeah. Over the years when you practice. All yeah. Of these. Well, it, it's really about just staying with it and staying with what you believe and working hard and keeping your eyes on the prize and moving ahead. I mean, it's really, you can do anything mm -hmm. you want. And yeah. as far as leadership, you know, the best leaders make all their people that work with them great leaders. Yeah. Um, and so it's my job to, as a leader, keep reinforcing people, helping people grow, inspiring people, um, because it's always bigger than the leader. The leader yeah. can't do it. Leader's one yeah. of many people. And uh, so that's been my job. You kind of got to keep being positive about what you're doing. Uh, I remember when I was in my first job down in Ocean Hill, Brownsville, I would get down about something and come in and the head of the schools, Rody McCoy, who was a role model for me, you know, was, come on, we can do it. Da, 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 da. And and it was that that encouraged me and that I can encourage people, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. I mean, you have ups and downs when you talk about, uh, we have a course in college, in a college unbound called Reframing Failure. Mm. So it's about looking at those things that you called failures and re-looking at them. Being able to tell your story. You know, we work inside the prison also. And, yeah. and we have people get out of the prison. And so one, they're a little shameful of that. But by the end of the time with us, they're making that part of their story and standing up straight. Yeah, I served. Here's what I learned from it. Here's why I'm giving back now. And so um, interesting enough, when I was in that class one day and I was in a little group and they said, uh, Dennis, what were your failures? And my first answer was, I didn't have any. <laughs> and then I went, wait a minute. I keep getting fired. Of course I had them. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. didn't look at them as failures. Yeah. When I got fired in New Hampshire, right. I didn't say I'm a bad person. I said, I'm ahead of my time for where I am. Mm -hmm. And even if I had lost the case and had to leave, I would stay the same thing. I pushed. I did what I believed in. It wasn't right at that time. It was... You know, you think about what you could have done differently, um, but I didn't look. At, I don't look at anything as wow. failure. I look at it as, oh, that didn't work. Okay, let's, let's try, try this. Another way. Yes. Yeah, and yes. I'm a ready fire aim person rather mm -hmm. than ready aim fire because I don't believe you can learn anything without jumping right in. Yeah. How long can you talk about what a school would be? You don't know anything until you get in and start running a school. That's and then right. you go, you know what? That's not working. Let's try this. So yeah. it's this constant circle where you're trying, you're doing. It's a think, do, evaluate, and think, you know, do. think, yes. do again. Yeah. And people spend too much time in the think as opposed to do. the do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So They got to learn from the doing. That's and then, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so was that a difficult time for you? Like was, yeah, the failure that, I mean, like not what? considered failure, what? <laughs> not, not failure. Yeah. Was that a challenge earlier yes. in your career? Yeah. Yes, actually. Like if we talk about like, say the biggest challenge or. Yeah, actually, you, you know, as, as years go by, you have less of remembering, <laughs> you know, how bad it was. Yeah. Uh, 
compared to the stories you tell about it. But it was two years of a lot of pain um, because I had a school board that I'd go to a meeting once a month and they'd beat me up verbally every meeting. And so I knew every month I remember I had that sad feeling because you can't yell back at them. Yeah. It's not like you're in a debate with someone. They're my boss. Yeah, yeah. And they're getting ready to fire me, so I have to be polite and respectful and take it, yeah. you know? And then they got their little forces together to... Um, so that was very hard um, for me. I did a lot of visualization. Yeah. So what that meant is before a meeting... I really worked hard to like walk myself through the meeting. So with people beating me up. So when the meeting came, it wasn't new. That's right. I did it uh, yeah, yesterday, right. man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that really helped wow. and, and not like being freaked out by what they say. You You're know, already I, prepared that's before right. you go. I, um, uh, that's an interesting thing that maybe I can come back to. It's about prepared. Yeah. Some people think leadership or being good is about passion and interest and doing your work it's about being prepared mm. you know that's why they say a lot of charismatic leaders aren't very good leaders for mm. very long because mm -hmm. all they have is the charisma mm. it's what do you do behind there's never a meeting that i go into be it with one person i sat and thought about our meeting today yes um to a big meeting so it's always being prepared by reading, writing, working behind the scenes. Yeah. Half the stuff that happens, happens behind the scenes. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you're not getting anywhere. So that time where I was being fired was a very hard time. I had kids and parents fighting. Yeah. So a kid was supportive of me and a parent wasn't. One of the leader's uh, parent, let me stop. No, it's okay. The airplane. It's okay. Uh, one of the leaders against me, this woman that kind of devoted her life to destroying me. I don't get it. And I didn't take it personally. You know, if I had a big beard, it was right after the Vietnam War. You had a whole group of conservative people. Who knows? And she was afraid her daughter would be changed, you know, mm -hmm. uh, putting her with this man in here and the leader. So... So the girl and I had a good uh, relationship. Actually, in the movie, they made it a boy. Um, but couldn't be too close because her mother really hated me. Okay? Mm. And I had this great experience. Her mother then died after a couple years after. And the daughter came into me. She had already graduated. And in a respectful way to her mom, but in a beautiful way to me, said, now we can be friends. And it wasn't disrespecting mom. It was actually respecting mom. I couldn't be friends with somebody, my mom. Yeah. So you had all those struggles yeah. through the process. And it's never any fun. I had two years, people yelling and screaming at me and making up stuff. So, you know, you had to have a sense of humor. And luckily, the people I cared about were supportive of me, my teachers and students. Um and there was a time they tried to get a court order to keep me out of school. Wow. And so I just said, I'll sit in my Jeep in the parking lot and run the school from there. You know, I mean, you just had to, what can you do? And yeah. I was lucky that I didn't have a family that could be harassed. I wasn't doing it to be a martyr, but I was, I was really representing a kind of education 
um, that this is early 80s um, that needed to be supportive. And my teachers followed me and bought in. So if I just left, which I could have left, it's like all that work and all that innovation is like That's not right. worth fighting for, you fall back. So I felt I had a bigger mission. And if I was actually fired and had to leave, I leave. Yeah. I actually became more popular, as because I told of you, that, yeah. because of it and had more job offers during that time. Um, yeah. So, but, but it was a very hard time, time because yeah. nobody likes to be disliked. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing because you never know what the disaster, you know, like after that, what will come to yeah, you, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I would love to learn more about the innovations that you did because the magic is that you turned their dropout rate from 20% to 1%. What exactly have you done yeah, to the student and in the school? Yeah. A couple things. Mm -hmm. One, kids are unknown in high school. You go to class, to class, to class. The athletes are known. The pains are known. Everybody else kind of gets lost. And so I had set up in my first school an advisory system where mm -hmm. every teacher has a group of 15, 16 students that they watch through the four years. And so even if you didn't like the system, you become close to the kid, you know, and you use everybody in the school. My librarian was an advisor, didn't like that system. She just wanted to be with her books. But by the third year, you know, I remember she came running in. Did you see Lisa? She scored the winning goal yesterday. She was committed. So mm. every kid had a person who was committed to them. Oh, okay. Wow. And that's important for a kid to know. So that was the most important thing. Everyone was known. If you go to five classes and sit in the back of the room, you can be unknown in every one of those classes. Yeah. But if you have somebody who you meet with every morning in something deeper than a homeroom, uh, you have that same person that's talking to your different teachers. You have the same person that's meeting with your parents. You have the same person meeting with you at the end of the day. Regardless of how much you liked or didn't like, you know you got somebody in school yeah. for you. So that was the most important thing I did day one, mm. okay? Um, then I tried to make the coursework more relevant too, not as far out as we did once yeah. we started yeah. Big Picture. Um, so I had a, a great, um, the kids thought, everyone thought a great U.S. history teacher because she was tough. And... Uh, and we had the philosophy that you got to learn how to think and do, you know, and everyone says that, but doesn't do it. So she says that, but then her exams were name these three rivers, name these mm. three, uh, you know, Just lakes in Michigan. So, yeah, yeah. so my way of trying to help train her was, this was 11th grade course, U.S. History. So kids were so proud that when they got an A in Mrs. Yeah. Hall's class. I said, do me a favor. Let's give the kids the exam two months later when they came back to school as seniors. They all flunked the exam. So then the teachers got to look and go, wow, I thought I was so great. They all got A's. Just for that period of time. For that period of time because <laughs> they studied that week. For that, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so that helped her say, oh, I better start looking at different things. So, so I worked, you know, I had that advisory system. I started internships. You know, again, get out of here. 
go out into the real world and learn all the things that were the beginning of my first two schools were all the little pieces that were the beginning of of really putting all the pieces together. So I remember, I mean, pay was like ridiculous back then. And I had one teacher um, that I could hire, but instead I broke it up to an internship director, somebody to take our toughest kids and, and build a, a, a classroom in a geodesic dome behind our school. Um, I forget what the third person was, the parent liaison because I was either going to be a hero or a goat. We had to involve everybody, mm -hmm. you know, and most likely I'd be the goat if, so, if you try to do it yourself. So, um, so it was kind of doing the internships, doing the hands-on, doing the community. Every kid had somebody. Um, everyone thought because the parents were so poor that they never came in school and the teachers used to not speak of them in the highest terms. And... I initiated parent conferences. In elementary school, you see them. High schools, you don't see them because you can't see all the teachers, but I had an advisor. So everyone turned the grades into the person. And my teacher said, nobody's going to show up. So I did everything one needed to do. I wrote, I did them during American Education Week, whatever that is. So I wrote to every business, can you let your worker off for an hour? I did all these things wow. that a person couldn't say. And everyone said, still, no one's going to come in. And I think I had 96% of the parents come in. Wow. And then once you meet the parent and talk about the parent, uh, talk to the parent about the kid, and the kid was in there, it changes everything. It involves everybody. So those are some of the things um, that we did. The other thing I did is I went back over the last three years before I started the school and looked at every kid who dropped out mm -hmm. and called them, brought them in and said, you can come back to school. And, you know, because you, you're lucky you get a new chance because it's a new person. Yeah. And probably half of them made it through. Yeah. Half dropped out again, but at least I helped another. There were about 30 kids that I remember I brought back. 15 or 20 graduated because they had a new, you know. And there were some kids who were, <laughs> this was a junior, senior high. They were in seventh grade for third time. Come on. They keep giving them the same stuff. So that's when I developed a program. I just put them together, found a great teacher, put them in the bottom of a church and said, let's go. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you can't be 15 years old and six feet tall in the seventh grade, man. So yeah. so doing whatever you have to do, and it's paying attention to the student. Yes, so. definitely. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about like how high school student was describing the education as boring or it's it's kind of lack of engagement right so students Correct. passion um during the classroom is like a big challenge in the u.s not to mention actually in a lot of asia countries um the test centered performance driven learning can be even daunting right more daunting yeah so can you like like the internship program you talked about too like is there any examples of a specific student say who has changed because of you know like the kind of real world experience and internship program has enhanced their learning versus the classroom you know like memorizing stuff yeah yeah what what, what kind of difference could that well, make it's a different every single student because yeah. you're allowing them to experiment um they believe they can do it, it 
anything. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a kid that wanted to do, uh, kind of political action art, um, you know, like live art out, outside. And he turned out, uh, being this top advertising person that came up with like, um, what's it called? Uh, buy locally Saturdays. So he, that experience of allowing him to create and do allowed him to keep creating and doing, you know, there was a kid who, um, uh, didn't like to do anything. And a friend of mine said, my grandfather's 80, works on boats. He's getting pretty depressed. You have anybody who might be interested in working on boats. So I had this kid that was going nowhere and an old man, and I put them together and it became this beautiful relationship where the old man now had somebody to teach. Yeah. So he was inspired. The kid was there learning the skills of a boat. And now he, and he was really a kid, didn't do nothing. And now his dad called me the other day because uh, he was on the American Cup boat. He knew how to fix boats, do boats. He became this like amazing expert. He's the one on the boat. And then the, and then the father said, and my daughter, um, it works for this company where she hires people to fly drones. Well, we didn't know the word drones, but we taught a kid to experiment, to try, to do. So she was able to, whatever the world is here, um, be able to do it well, you know. And the same thing. We had a kid um, who uh, went to a private school, dropped out, went to this exam school, dropped out. Finally came to our school, he's a musician. All he wanted to do was do music, uh -huh. okay? And no one was allowing him to do music. So of course he'd skip school so he could do his music. So we had him doing music. So his English was writing, you know? He was learning how to, the management stuff of running a band. He was in five bands. He did his senior project was building a guitar. He went on, he's a leader of this band called Deer Tick. Um, and it's a great story because uh, we had a conference, a big picture conference in Vegas, and I get off the plane and I see a big billboard for him playing in Vegas. Wow. So I call him and uh, uh, say, we're here. And he said, come on over, da-da-da-da. So, uh, you know, the concert started at 10 o'clock. Us old dudes are getting ready to sleep at 10 o'clock, man. So he goes up and he, the concert's full and all the groupies there, you know, and uh, he says, my principal's here and teachers. He said, that's great. And he said, to show you how much I learned, this guitar I'm playing, I made in high school oh, wow. and it broke and I fixed it this morning. Oh. And um, I'm going to play from it in honor of my school, kind of. So it was that kind of stuff that you just, keep helping kids find their way yeah. and then that continues. Yes. So, and I could give you a hundred examples Definitely. in every field yeah. because yeah. It, it, it connects, it's a powerful time in their yeah. lives. So, yeah. so. Could we say that like you almost like treated high school 
similar like a college or even grad school experience where it allows students to pursue their interests and for something they're really passionate about yeah. and use the other subjects to substitute and yeah. to help them to uh, learn. That's an insightful analogy. My yeah. friend Deborah Meyer, who's a great educator, said, and it's not even 100% true anymore, but we do good at preschool and we do good at graduate school and we screw it up in the middle <laughs> okay. because of what you just said. Yeah. Because when a kid comes to us at three, we don't have a prescribed curriculum. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're getting more and more of that you know, no recess, they got to learn this. Yeah. But usually it's who's Lee, who's Dennis, who's something. Yeah. And in graduate school, we start having that freedom. So both our high school and our college, if you come to a college class, you would think you're in graduate school because we're oh. having incredible discussions about something, not repeating back what the professor wanted us to get. Yeah, so yeah. you are right. Got it. Okay. So it is true, like we talked about like, you know, the boring aspect of it, but it is also true that a lot of people don't like the job or even the friend circle they are in. And you mentioned in one of your interviews and saying, hope to raise students to be people who are happy mm -hmm. and who have good jobs and good morals. And it's a grand but wonderful mission. So can you tell us like how can big picture learning and med school and even college unbound, you know, to raise happier kids and adults who have good morals. Yeah. How yeah. do you judge that? Yeah. So in America, we test what's easiest to test, not what's most important. Okay. Yeah. Because things like happiness, yeah. what the hell is happiness? That's right. It's hard. You know, it's harder right. to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, we do, um, we've been studied a lot and we do, we have sent out surveys that talk about people's happiness because people more and more are telling me that people are looking to be fulfilled. Um, this guy, Todd Rose at Harvard, uh, what's the name of his book, his latest book, uh, Underdog, I think, interviewed people who like didn't go to college and tried to understand and that made it in some way. And then got together with a Gallup poll to really start questioning people, found out that it seems to be changing. People care about fulfillment rather than just money. I mean, you gotta have enough money to live um, or SATs aren't so important anymore. So it's more and more we're getting some measures for it, uh, but not very good at it. Mm -hmm. um, and partly, you know, what I think about when I'm thinking about this interview is it's about stories. You know, if you, we had a new commissioner of education come to Rhode Island, she came visit the school and she was just there for an hour and a half. So we put her with kids and parents and somebody came the other day to visit the college and I just threw them in. But the beauty is it's not, every school has got a few great kids or adults. I told the commissioner, come any day and walk around the school. So it's everybody is treated in a way that their story is respected. One kid said to me one day, every student here has their own story. So it's not the clicks. You know, the day I watched a six-foot kid with green hair spiked walking with his arm around a four-foot eleven uh, computer geek. That wouldn't happen other places. Mm -hmm. And it's that our, our schools allow you to be who you are 
and be respected. Mm. You're the great athlete, that's great. I'm the great musician, that's great. I love computers, that's great. You know, So it's hard to measure and um, we're trying to get better and better at it. And as I say, there've been some studies and there's more and more stuff. We have at the college, what we call our big 10, our skills like creativity, uh, um, uh, resilience, problem solving. And we do have steps to see if you get that. We do give credit for that. So everyone says those are important, but then marks you on how much sociology you know. Mm -hmm. We're actually forcing our college students to talk about how they're creative, how they problem solved, how they collaborated. So partly we're doing that. So they go for a job interview where they look at themselves. They can say, here's how I've shown, you know, Job person says, how do I know you can work with others? Well, here are my four examples. Here's who I was as a freshman. Here I was a senior. So it's hard. Um, I don't know what else to say. You yeah, know, yeah. But. It's just like, you know, like like for the younger parents who have like very young kids or before preschool, kindergarten, that they, some kids, some parents believe that playing which is allowing kids yeah. to learn, you know, yeah. but other parents believe that, no, I have to put the kids in into right. the classroom, into, you know, this kind of program, that kind of training in order for them to learn. But yeah, personally, like, I, I feel like it's very hard to measure what play can actually bring to kids. That's why a lot yeah. of parents wanted their kids to, you know, like show like mathematical, you know, like stat st statistics showing like, okay, she got this much, you know, like score. She input this much in right, drawing right. and music and stuff. Yeah, it, it's very well. It's hard. the problem is, as you know, a tiger moms. Yeah, yeah. And it's someplace in the middle. It's important to get exposure, um, and on the other hand, play is a child's work. Yeah. You know, so I just took on for the college. We just took on um, a group that we're starting in the fall of young moms. There's a high school that's for young moms, so 18-year-old young women that have kids. So part of our job, uh, many just came to this country, um, most are poor. So part of our job in the college, I see, is starting with where they're at, right? Yeah. So how do you help your child with play and vocabulary? You know, how do you stimulate your child? How do you build and how do you even though the kid can't read, you're reading to him? So there are things that are important that the middle class and upper class do and the lower income doesn't do that we have to help. But then there's the extreme. We're so over-programmed. You know, I have a friend that's, that lives in Asia and talks to me all the time. She has her kid in piano, dance, karate, you know, and the kid don't like any of them. That's right. Yeah. And it's that tough decision, you know, and the advice I give her is tell the kid to find one. Yeah. She's got to do something, but you don't care what it is. Yeah. And that can change, you know, but people so overscheduled in this world that then people get a hate for that yeah. um, and don't know how to do on their own. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. That overscheduling is actually taking away the learning for drive for learning that's right. away. That's know, right. For the kids so they don't want to pursue anything that's right. later, you know, for that's their right. life. Yeah. yeah. So 
you believe in personalized learning, just like what we have talked about, yeah. And you stated that we cannot mass teach students because everybody is different. So how do you view like nowadays technology affecting education? Do you think technology can achieve personalized learning for for different kids? Well, the technology is a great tool. Unfortunately, when new technology comes up, they try to use the new technology with the old content. So, you know, MOOCs, everyone thought MOOCs would be the greatest thing in the world. All they did was take a lecture and put it online. Big deal. All they did was, you know, and other things is all these online, just take the courses and put them online. That ain't the answer, okay? Um, It's how do we use the tool to communicate, to think, to find information, to get us to think. But people forget about the other. That's why my college, you know, adults that go to the online because they have three kids and a job, when can you do it? Online and that technology does good in the fact that you can do stuff at different times. But that's all. That's not the key. The key is is how to match yourself, how to how to find something that you care about, then you'll learn. And that's why we have this strong group on the ground that does the work, that gets committed to each other. And then they use the technology to get the information. They don't have to need a professor to just give them information and then get that online. But the real learning goes when they're running a project that they care about. Okay, so I think people who think they can put a kid behind a computer and get all these big, what they call big data, all this information to tell you, I know how Lee's learning now. I don't really believe in, um, you know, I believe in for 20%. But learning is something much bigger than that. You learn, you know, you're, you're interested in education, so you like being here and interviewing me. If you were interviewing somebody on uh, something else you didn't care about, you'd be looking at your watch and ready to go home. Um, and that's really what it's about. So our key is how do you find the technology to make the real learning easier? You know, how do I use the technology to when I place a kid in an internship, they're a little more skilled because mm-hmm. they come back and say, wow, I'd really like to learn how to do that. Oh, you mean I can press this button? and learn a little bit what I just saw in work, now I'll go back to work and be better. Mm -hmm. So I have a hunch it will be integrated in our life more. I don't even like to talk about things as online anymore. It's just what we do, right? Yeah. Um, It's how we communicated to meet. Uh, But now we're meeting in real, that builds the relationship and the learning, and that makes the texting easier. Yeah, so So it's assisting the real life learning rather than overtake you know right and that's part of the problem you know when people talk about their friends their only friends online you know now maybe that's the new generation of friends but we also believe that something's missing for us being able to really communicate that's right so So a lot of young professionals are passionate about education and wanted to make impact you know through education and technology as well so from your experience um having worked in education fields what kind of um, workforce, you know, are most needed in educational fields, like teachers, educators, like leaders, or well, companies, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm one who believes greatly in leadership, mm. okay? So there was a time in my life I tried to convince everyone to be a principal because you have autonomy, 
you're there on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not just waiting in the office for bad things to happen, then you're out training people, inspiring people, uh, being able to turn your philosophy into practice. Mm -hmm. So I believe um, leadership in all fields is really important. And that's why our one major in college is organization, leadership, and change. Okay, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be leading a tech company, you could be leading a school, you could be a superintendent. Um, you wanna be a leader. And a leader, not just this person up here that's telling everyone to do, but a leader in being able to help others move um, towards uh, goals that we all love. So leadership to me is the most important. Um, the work on the ground, um, I still believe in the principles. If you have a great principal, you have a great school. Not that he or she, he or she just empowers other people to be great, engages yeah. parents. That's what they do. That's what a good leader does. Um, it is important, you know, I'd like to write leaders to be the secretary of education, to be commissioners, to be superintendents. It's harder for them to really have an impact. Um, but not if they want to be radical about their thoughts. Way back in the days, there was a, um, a guy who was out there philosophically who was um, Secretary of Education or Commissioner in New York. And the fact that he had a certain philosophy and he helped everyone in New York think I could do that because the head man believes in that. Mm. So there's value all those places. You know, if a, if a president comes out and says, I believe, you know, we should put less emphasis on the tests and more on our growth and morality and kindness and, and helping our country in that way, um, that could help. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. teacher training sucks. You know, they're, they're not really teaching you in that broader way. So, um, so it's leadership, leadership, leadership. Got it. I believe. Yeah. So our conversation is rather deep, probably doesn't, you know, like it's probably more fitting for parents than teachers. So now if you were to give suggestions to kids, are still in school and who may not have the chance to go to schools like big picture learning the med school maybe who are facing some challenges you know and failing too and about their study and worried about the future and stuff what would you say to them so i was just discussing with someone yesterday how powerless kids are um how powerless students are I mean, there's even students I know that entered a master's degree at Harvard in leadership. They were happy to get in, so for the first six months, they just did what they had to do. Then they realized they weren't really becoming leaders. I'm not picking on Harvard, but you become a leader by working in with great leaders. And then by that time, they said, well, I only have four more months to go, so I'm not going to change anything. So schools keep going on. For younger kids, it's just hard to be strong. Can you imagine, you know, uh, a six-year-old kid saying to the teacher, hey, my mom used to take me on a lot of field trips. We don't have any now. That's where you learn. And the teacher say, nice, but uh, we don't have the money to get a bus. Um, high school, you know, 
people make comments and they say, sorry, this is the way I teach. I'm an adult. You're a kid. So I'm very interested in students gathering together and being more empowered to, one, either speak your piece on what's right, because I believe you know what's right more than the adults. You are the client in the say. So when I heard your video, Lee, of a three-and-a-half-year-old or whatever it was, five-year-old, oh, oh, the kid saying, I was following my passions at three-and-a-half. Come on! So it's about really respecting and believing in the students. And if you schools aren't good enough, so the question is, how do you get by um, and be able to be a real learner? I give an example in college of... Uh, I was, uh, me and my roommate both took this course and we were reading this book, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. Very hard, man. I read it eight times preparing for the test. My roommate read it once, loved the author, read four of his books, other books. I got an A, he got a D, what? but he was the smarter person. He didn't know the specific facts about Heart of Darkness, but he became a learner. He loved the author. He knew. And so I want the kids to, you find something that you love, study that on your own. Mm -hmm. Still get by. You can't fail. But make sure you're that kind of a learner, you know. Mm -hmm. And to educate your parents to go in and say, I'm tired of this homework that doesn't make any sense. You know, let my kid read at home. Let my kid experiment at home. Let my kid interview. So... I would love for students to be more activists for their own learning and for others' learning. So that's it for our whole conversation with Dr. Licky. Through the conversation, me personally have been touched by many points Dennis Licky has made. For example, many great leaders prepare behind the scene. It is really not what everyone sees in public. It's the effort and hard work behind the scene. Also, what is really important in education? Paying attention to students, understand their own problems, and help them to find their passion. Thus, students can learn through their own interest with the real world experience. All these came from a leader and educator who has founded dozens of schools. I hope this conversation can inspire parents, educators, and entrepreneurs in education who can provide maybe the same level of love and understanding towards students. Thus, we can enhance the learning experience for our next generation of leaders. Here, thanks, Dennis, for sharing your great stories and wisdom. And of course, thanks everyone for tuning in to Spark, where all kids are empowered to learn, create, and become. I'm the host, Lee. I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Spark Creators Podcast at peachandplumlab.com.